Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. So let's get going. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. Can your prospects smell your commission breath? Is your eagerness to set the appointment or reach for the deal keeping you from gleaning the information you need from your conversations with prospects? There's a danger that comes with expertise. When you are a true beginner, your mind is empty and open. You're willing to consider all pieces of information. As you develop expertise, however, your mind naturally becomes more closed. As a salesperson, you might have a preconceived notion that you know where a cold call is heading. Rejectionville again. And this makes you less open to discovering new information, less likely to hear your prospect's confession about his business or job or a problem you might be able to solve. Your expectations are not immediately met and you get that sense of doom that this call is a waste of your time. What can save you from that out on a ledge, sales-related fear of impending doom? Shoshin, a Zen Buddhism concept that means beginner's mind. Chris, Corey, and Jake Houston discuss how employing the curiosity mindset of Shoshin, which means, I know nothing, tell me about your experience, allows you to take a hold of your emotions, lead your prospect back into having a conversation, and put you back on the road to discovery. Join Corey and Chris and their guest today, Jake Houston, who's back for a second episode. He's the CEO and co-founder of SDR League, the world's first esports league for salespeople. So let's get going with Corey, Chris, and Jake. Take it away, guys. Yeah, Jeb Blano, he always says that the biggest problem that we all have in sales, and he wrote a whole book about it, Sales EQ, is that we don't understand our own emotions and therefore have ways of, I'll call it managing, but I don't mean it in a controlling kind of sense, the ability to remain detached while executing precisely and with energy. And Mm -hmm. it's a tricky business in everything though. I mean, I'm an old rock climber mountaineer, right? And how can you be detached, especially doing some of the games that I used to do, which did not involve a rope, I'm not saying I'm a smart person, right? <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. You know, Corey, you know the praying monk, right? Yes. On Camel's Head on Camelback Mountain. And I remember having this experience once at about 6.30 in the morning where I was free soloing, a very easy climb uh, to go up to the top of the praying monk, but it's got a lot of exposure. Exposure means how far do you fall before you hit. And the exposure on that climb looks like you're gonna fall into somebody's swimming pool about 600 feet below you on the first move. So you come out of this little cave tunnel and you traverse right onto the face and and then you kind of get yourself situated. And it's a really easy climb. It's really easy. It's just a long ways down. And to do it unroped at dawn when the sun is just peeking up is this this kind of lonely and kind of special feeling, right? So I was up there doing that one Saturday morning and I get up about halfway up the climb and there's a little old mudstone flake there that's got a hole in it and you can move it with your finger. You can actually pull on it and it'll wiggle. And you're going to have to actually use it and not use it at the same time. So it's a very delicate sort of operation. And suddenly I hear a noise, totally unexpected noise, an industrial noise. And it's getting louder and louder and louder. What did I need to do? 
It's just like what happens when you're afraid that this person that you're talking with in a discovery conversation isn't the right customer. They're almost right, but now they're not going to go with us, right? What do you do? How do you not panic? So that was the skill that I was getting the good fortune of learning through a game that is too stupid to play and nobody should play it which is you know, this, this particular thing. And by the way, the, the way the story ends is fine. Obviously, I'm reasonably with us. Or this is some real high tech. Talk about ghosting. They talk about ghosting people now. We could be ghosting me right now. But I finally get enough courage. I calm down and I get enough courage and turn my head. And there's the Goodyear blimp Columbia at eye level, about 100 feet away. It's a bunch of people having a breakfast tour looking at, look, human flies, right? Wow. So. My hands are sweating right now, by the way, as I try to emotionally detach from that little piece of PTSD. But you know, what, what I think you've outlined there is the perfect archetype example of what we have as the four legs of that bar stool, where you had that fear, should I do this free solo on the praying monk? And then you had to cross that bridge going from fear to trust. I trust that I'm competent enough to get there. And then I'm curious enough if this foothold can maybe take me up a different pathway or a different trench here. And then finally, once you have that curiosity, you had to commit. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you couldn't yeah. stop it. Some folks won't get past that fear, but you got all the way to, to all four of the legs of those, that bar stool there and that one story, certainly. Yeah, commit and take action because it's real easy to stand there forever, but mm-hmm. that doesn't get the job done either way. But I think sales has that level of emotion associated with it. And Jeb's book, Objections, in which he tells us that our emotional reaction to an objection is that it's a rejection. And that rejection is, our fear of rejection is worse than our fear of death. We react in sales situations in ways that are more compelling emotionally than a free solo I'll be kind to the rest of them. This was not true of me. A free solo artist is actually experiencing a less compelling emotion, which is merely the fear of falling to their death. Whereas a salesperson in discovery and in a cold call especially faces the fear of rejection over and over and over. And each objection is mapped onto a rejection. And Jeb teaches us a word that he uses, which is the ledge, right? It comes right out of climbing. Mm -hmm. He might have been a climber. He's a horseman. They don't even have ledges. They have saddles, right? But he used the correct term, which is a ledge. You go to your ledge. Mine, when you hang out with me, you'll know what my ledge is in short order. So fires are in Oregon. I can't drive from Reno, where I've got all this work going on with my house and moving and all that, back to Washington because Oregon's on fire. What did I say when I was talking to Helen about it? Fantastic. As soon as I found out, that's what I said. Mm -hmm. Fantastic, because that's my ledge. You tell me that, oh, I, I don't know, Chris, our business doesn't, doesn't work like that. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and it calms me down. It's my ledge. Everybody yeah. needs one, no matter how experienced you are, no matter how many times you've been up that route, something funny that could, your Blimp Columbia could sneak up on you. <laughs> and, and you need to look at it and say, fantastic. And then go to your curiosity. 100%. So where do you go from your ledge? Always go to your curiosity. It's the safest place in a conversation for you. It makes a lot of sense. And it reminds me 
of some neuroscience work that was done by this guy, Mo something. He used to be the head of Google X and then his son passed away and it was uh, devastating. And he took a sabbatical to try to understand from an engineer's perspective, how he could like create happiness and solving for happiness. He went on this mission and Google let him do it and everything. And one of the things he figured out is that he said happiness is, as far as he can tell, the feeling of having your expectations met. But he said that that doesn't mean that the solution is to set low expectations for yourself. It's what do you do when your expectations are not met? Anyway, what he does practically, what he prescribes to people is that what goes on is when your expectations aren't met, the middle of your brain where there's incessant thinking, that part starts to really light up and do all kinds of bad things. And that's where you get into the downward spiral of emotion. Imagine you missed a bus and then you're like, oh, I missed the bus. And then you're like, no, now I'm going to be late for that thing. And then that meeting, it's not going to go well and this, and I'm not going to make my quota. And I'm not, suddenly the world is upside down. And the best way he said to practically overcome that, and maybe the ledge just reminded me of this, but it's to shift your thinking towards, okay, well, what would I do next time to prevent that from happening? And the reason for that is it moves the neural activity from the middle of your brain to a different part. So it literally stops that downward spiral. So that reminds me of how you are saying to go to curiosity right away and to kind of greet it with a positive feeling and then go curious. Because saying, how would I stop this from happening again is kind of a curiosity type of function, right? So that certainly resonates deeply with me there. In essence, Jake, it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing with the SDR League. So it'd be a good segue into this veneer that you are putting on top of the midbrain where there's potential rejection and dejection and disappointment and struggle in that mm-hmm. midbrain where I'm going to perseverate over an issue or a challenge or my numbers. And now I go more into the neocortex or even the opposite end, even more to the primitive side of the brain, which is a little bit more competitive, a little bit more fun, a little bit more novel. And let's talk a little bit about that. Was that part of the intent is how do you kind of put this velvet rope around what our profession really is and kind of come at it from a different angle? Exactly. And I think to touch on your point there, all those things, it's all part of the game at the end of the day. And that's what us seasoned folks who have done this for a while would say, right? We get punched in the nose, we get rejected, kicked in the teeth, as Ryan likes to say. It's all part of the game. We learn to love that because it means that we're one step closer to the great thing that we want happening, right? So I think that isn't necessarily the inspiration for creating the entire thing, but that's something that's definitely at play is that learn to love the game, learn to love the process itself, learn to love the L, not just the W. That's how you can get yourself to be formidably defending against the downward spiral and negative emotion. That's when you're like, fantastic, as Chris said, when he can't drive to where he wants to go, right? So from what I've seen in terms of hiring as well, let's just say at the top of the funnel on the sales development side, I love people who love the game. If you love the game, if you're passionate about the game, that's great. We're going to be able to figure this thing out here, right? So yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. We also want to really elevate our profession and sports is think of children watching athletes and then becoming inspired and all of those things. I think that none of this stuff is public facing right now, right? It all takes place in the best orgs at connect and sell among the team, talking to each other at young blood works, that culture exists, but it can't be shown to people that aren't a part of it necessarily either. So that's something near and dear to my heart as well. Hey, I love what you're doing with, with SDR League. It's a crazy idea. Mark Cuban is the big exponent of esports, right? And 
I'm going to talk to him about what you guys are doing because he's going to love this. I mean, the idea of making an eSport, you got to get it up and running because Mark's not a speculative guy. Yes. But it's really, really something. What could be a better competitive activity than cold calling? That's just- it. Yeah, 100%, Chris. And not to interrupt you there, finish your thought, just to interject. I see eSports becomes B-sports, right? That's the new category that we're ushering in here, right? It's business as a sport. And absolutely, to your point, sales development, top of the funnel is the most high adrenaline, fun, fast-paced, action-packed stuff to watch. So, Yeah, people like to watch sports that involve violent collisions between talented human beings. In this case, there's a bunch of them. I mean, it's like there's the two competitors, there's what happens on the call. Every cold call is a train wreck. What a fabulous, fabulous idea. I love what Ryan is doing. Ryan Reitzert is out there on Twitch right now. Twitch is the video gamers esports channel, right? He has a channel out there channel has grown like crazy already. And I just can't imagine a cooler thing than that. And it is true, Corey, by the way, you go to both a more primitive part of the brain, but also you go to a very cerebral, very cortex part of the brain, very neocortex part, right? I mean, the smartest people I've ever known in sport are left tackles playing football. Those are by far the smartest people. They're so smart. The the scores are off the chart. Exactly right. Yeah. And they're into technique and at a level of nuance and detail into the biomechanics and then into the psychology. There's a guessing game going on. There's all this stuff happening, right? In the mind, this person's brain is attached to a big body. You don't get to play left tackle if you're really small, right? Because all quarterbacks end up dead at that point. But it's a fascinating thing. And I really think that one of the things we're seeing is that thinking and executing in real time now have become the keys to success. Business used to be built around planning. You'd have this annual plan, right? Now, I've always rejected the annual plan. I always thought the annual plan was an, is an idiot's exercise. Why would the fact that the earth shows up relative to the distant stars in approximately the same alignment as sometime it did before. Why would that be the natural unit of planning? We're not farming. We don't have seasons that are meaningful in our business in that sense. Not very many of them anyway. We make them up, right? Oh my God, Q4, 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 let's close all the deals. What? That's just nuttiness when you think about it. Businesses need stuff all the time and we're going to plan our investment, our innovation investment out through the whole year. Well, I've got about six weeks of visibility into innovation investments at Connect and Sell. And I remember when I joined the company, I was VP of products and I joined five minutes after meeting the founder, Sean McLaren, and I just told him I was working for him. And he said, well, you know, what if I'm not hiring? And I said, well, Sean, it's a free country. I can work for whomever I want. And it's entirely up to you if you decide to pay me. I highly recommend you do because it stabilizes the employer-employee relationship. But do what you want. It's up to you. I'm committing. You can have your way with me if you want. So first day on the job, I go talk to the engineers. And they ask me, you're the product guy. How do you do roadmap? I said, roadmap? I don't do roadmap. Whoa. I grew three heads. I started vomiting blood as far as they were concerned, flying around the room with wings. It's like, who is this creature, a product guy who doesn't do roadmap? That's like, <laughs> that's like a racehorse with no legs. It doesn't make any sense. And the fact is, deep roadmap as an assertion of knowledge that you do not confidently have. And it's an expression of your lack of curiosity. Mm-hmm. You're Thank saying, you. I don't care. I don't care what we learn. It's the business equivalent of free soloing then is what you're doing. Yeah. And you got to be good Mm. or else you die. Yeah. But you got to be good anyway. So, so what? That also, Chris, then is something that stops everyone from being able to follow the constraints so closely because they lay out this 
annual plan and then they get a bunch of important eyeballs at the board level on it and everything else and then it just becomes did you do the plan really not not about anything else really right so why was it annual why was it annual well we only have four board meetings a week a year oh okay so the board meetings purpose is to serve the company or is there some other purpose that we should be trying to detect here why don't we have a quarterly plan why don't we have a one month plan it's been a bothered me for a long time and I don't do it. It's the same reason I don't hold meetings, by the way. I think standing meetings, fixed meetings on the calendar are exactly the same thing. They're an expression of your lack of interest in the future. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, I like the, the concept, certainly, and Chris, you and I have spoken about compensation and how these antiquated compensation plans, unfortunately, continue to drive the behavioral of end of month, end of quarter, end of year, and bonuses and stifles that curiosity. I'm curious in the first week or two of a quarter, but then when this impending doom of a quota creeps up on me that I have this sword of Damocles uh, staring at me at the end of a quarter, then I better stifle that curiosity and go more towards volume. And I don't have time to ask the type of discovery I need to be to be curious because I just need to find out if you're going to buy or not, Chris, right? And how compensation plans play a part in that. And that perhaps even the type of people we're hiring and indoctrinate and like a virus spread from one sales organization to another to another. So it's as almost as if we have to have a Lord of the Flies type of island situation where people who are pristine, virgin, pure in the black art of quota creation, who have never succumbed to an ISPC or a board meeting or account review where they feel pressure to hit a quota at the month corresponding to their commission and just let them discover, let them be curious and to see if there's a different type of currency that can be created that is inconsistent with uh, kind of the forms we're having today. Well, I think we came up with a partial cure and the partial cure would be to have a new role, which is discoverer. (laughs) I was just thinking that discoverer. And the discoverer role can be comped as the discoverer role should be comped, which is what did we learn? And if the main thing we were to try to learn is the business truth of the other person and their beliefs, and then we were to say, here's the roadmap that we're hoping for in this relationship. We think the timing is going to work like this. We think their beliefs, we hope, evolve that the next step, next steps being actions are ridiculous in sales. The next step that counts is, is that person going to believe something new? People buy because of what they believe. Yeah. They don't buy because you took an action. You can take actions all day long, right? Do nothing. But when they believe it, whether you took an action or not, they believe the next thing, you've made progress. So if we were to put together with our discoverer a belief map that says, where are we trying to go belief-wise? And a business map, which is what's the business truth that they're living in internally and externally, and then comp that correctly, then our AEs could be commissioned for being the order takers that they would love to be. Mm. I mean, consultants. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean order takers. I meant trusted advisors. Actually, they could be trusted advisors. That They would be fine with that. They're just being trusted later in the process. Because getting to transaction itself is hard. Transacting is, the, the problem with closing emotionally is, your emotional stance that, that you need to have is, I am willing to sacrifice this relationship for the deal. That's actually what you have to do to be a closer. This is why sales is so hard, is you build relationships and you're willing to sacrifice them for the deal because your time is essentially all you got. And you can't be spending your time on stuff that isn't going to turn into a deal. 
We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears they shed while watching the end of Toy Story, kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. Corey and Chris. But that's not to say as organizations, we couldn't have a role whose job is to learn the truth and we could build our forecasts off the truth rather than building our forecasts off of, does somebody need to say, well, I can backfill that one with this other one. How many times have you heard that, Corey? Oh yeah, well that one's going to slip, but I can backfill it by pulling this other one in. If you could pull that one in, why didn't you pull it in? That's right. That's right. Yeah takes me to a place of thinking about just the puzzle of motivation though. And I do think that discoverer role would be fantastic. But then if we start to try to measure the truth, that's where we get into all kinds of issues, right? It's like, how do we truly measure that truth? And if we compensate based on finding the truth, then we get into all the same wrong behaviors at the discoverer level. It's almost as if they need to be non-variable in terms of their comp. We're all alert. There's a lot of salespeople that they're allergic to that thought, but I think there's those studies out there. I can't remember the exact name, but it's the one where people were given financial incentives and asked to do a task where they had to get this candle to stick to the wall with thumbtacks and, and a little case, a match case. And as they escalated the amount of money they gave people, they got worse and worse at that task because it caused, and you guys seem to know a lot about how the brain works, so feel free to fill in which parts were going on, but it caused the wrong parts to sort of supersede the others, right? So I think the discoverer would have to be almost just, just paid for, for their job. And measured objectively by somebody else, not themselves. This is another bizarre notion that we have in sales that the measurer and the actor are the same person, right? Can you imagine doing that in manufacturing? But let's not actually measure what the machine is doing and check it to see if it's calibrated. Let's just assume that it's good and then use its output as the measurement. That'd be nutty. We'd never be able to build anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think the, as Jake, I think as you'd said at the outset of this conversation, because we're dealing with variable, such as a human being who uses three parts of their brain, who is in a profession that has cascaded for living on the edge of society, bleeding people dry, right? You put all these conflating elements together and certainly you have too many variables in a system. As Chris had said many times in this in this podcast, so how is a new SDR or a new sales rep or you let alone a new sales manager or VP who is thrust into an opportunity, an environment where they have one quarter, right? The average tenure of VP is what, 180 days, so to speak, right? It's maybe a year before they start feeling that heat. And they're thrust in that environment where there's way too many variables in a system. And there is no go-to to have each of these variables weighed from a different atomic weight perspective to say, what should I focus on? And so invariably, I go to the old standbys, the old reliables, which is how many conversations, not that I'm having, but how big is my pipeline and how many demos have I done? And I think that lends itself to part of this confusion, this mass chaos, why you see one sales organization selling relatively the same type of product to the same type of TAM, doing completely different results than another sales organization, competing sales organization with the same type of TAM and relatively the same type of products. Mm -hmm. And I had heard you guys talk about Mr 
master monkey and that whole idea. And when you depict it like that, Corey, it sounds like it's pretty easy for people to just default to being Mr. Monkey because there's so much chaos to navigate through and, and everything, right? It's this meta thinking is required above everything and, and it's really missing. And it's, I guess, the role of leadership to ensure that it's part of the culture. And we talked about culture very early on and how it's a cultural thing and uh, to get the human beings to feel reasonably good enough while you just hone in on one specific bottleneck at a time. And it comes down to then, I think, culture design. And that's kind of a weird thing for people because everyone thinks that culture needs to be this organic sort of thing. You know, otherwise, no, that's imposed, that's sterile, that's not real culture and all that, right? But if you don't design something intentionally, then you can't expect to be able to control any of the results that it produces. So I think that maybe what's really important as a takeaway here is you need to design the right culture in your organization that defends you against all of these problematic ways of thinking that people fall into based on all the things we've been talking about, basically. Well, Chris, in one of his, uh, Chris, one of your earlier episodes, we talked about the culture at Connect and Sell, right? And that the goal, and I'm going to butcher the exact phrase you use, right, is to fail spectacularly at least once a day, I think you had explained. So that's number one. And I'm looking at my notes from a brief conversation, Chris, that I had with you a couple days ago. And you said a phrase that I liked that ties in, Jake, what you're saying is to be ruthlessly curious. And I really like that, Chris. See how these nuggets just come out and you just kind of kind of capture them where you can. But I think that that culture of what you are doing with the SDR League and what folks like James Thornburg, right, the grandfather, right, of kind of the, I, I would consider him kind of the Uncle Rico. If you remember your Napoleon Dynamite, right? Uncle Rico always got the cameras. <laughs> Those had the video camera set up as he's practicing his throws, trying to go back to circa 1988. And so, James, if you're listening, I think you're, you really are the Uncle Rico of always adjusting, always trying to tweak your passing game, and certainly what Ryan's doing there too. But that curiosity of what that self-introspection, and if you can have a culture like that, that Chris had said, even at Connected Cell, where you're able to fail miserably at least once a day, I think that will engender itself into an organization where people will be more curious, that will, their curiosity will trickle down internally in the business to externally to the type of people that you're talking to and your prospects. Yeah, we want to fail enthusiastically. And, Love you it. know, be wrong. I've told everybody I've ever hired that one of the things that we do here, wherever here happened to be, is we are wrong enthusiastically every day. And that is a real key because we're wrong by nature. We're almost always wrong. I mean, how often do you look back and say, oh, I was so brilliant 20 years ago. I had it all, right? You look back and you go, I've learned a few things. So relative to some future state, you're always wrong. I'm going to jump on this culture thing for a minute. So, Corey, this is something that I actually think you can look at it at Youngblood Works in a totally new way, and you can change the, the whole world of this. And here's how. Cultural transformation is the hardest thing we can ever do. So I have the luxury of doing startups. I mean, Connect and Sell wasn't a startup for me, but it's been really close. But before that, almost all startups, except a couple of stints at GXS, where I was a senior vice president of new product innovation. I predicted I would last 364 days there during the interview. I actually told the CEO he would fire me on day 364. And I was right to the day, I can tell you. I was right to the day. And so I don't do very well in those organizations, not because I don't get anything done. I think I built five products for them, a great team. The late Suli Ding was leading this awesome team and built products. We bought a company for them, all these great things. But 
The fact is, I push continuously for cultural change, and in particular, for getting rid of parasites. And parasites are the big problem of companies or an organisms full of value. And there will be other organisms that want to feed on them while they're still alive. Those are called parasites. And when you're a company, they will try to feed on you, and they come in through your open mouth, mm. which just like many parasites do. They come in through your food supply, which for companies is their new hires. And you'll get one of these parasites in. And I've, I've mentioned on this podcast how you know they're a parasite. They say in the interview, I'm a team player. As soon as somebody says, I'm a team player in an interview, now I've let the cat out of the bag. And that, by the way, is a reference to the cat of nine tails, not the kind of cat that people pet. But in any case, now let them know. So thank God the parasites, will, they won't change their stripes too fast. But when somebody's joining a company and their actual intention is to suck value out of it while appearing to provide value, which is a perfectly rational thing to do. But if that's their intention, they're going to say during the interview process, I'm a team player. And they're saying it because they're not. They're a parasite. Mm -hmm. right? And here's the thing about Youngblood Works. You can build a parasite-free organization, and you have, and you can grow it parasite-free forever. And therefore, you can offer as your primary product a different culture from the identification of the market through the delivery of the customer who is ready to buy now. So if you were to go to the psychology department, not just the business department, and don't just take future CEOs into finishing school, which you're doing now as cold callers and, and folks who have the ability to hold a conversation with an invisible stranger, the scariest thing in the world that we do, but you tap another department, the psychology department, and bring in these therapist types who are highly curious and have a feel for people and then teach them enough business that they can hold a product-free discovery call using Chris Bennett's technique. I go talk to Chris Bennett, another good Canadian, just north of where I live in Port Townsend. He's just, just across the water there. Bring his techniques in and productize that. You will actually solve the cultural problem where it's causing the most pain. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem that needs to be solved, and that can be your ultimate product. And that's the export. That's that is, in essence, the inherent product, not necessarily the demos. It's delivering people that may be recruited or moved to these organizations that already have their foundational elements based off curiosity and non-parasitic behavior. It's and like it's the, a cultural graft. It's yeah, a graft, right? It's the immune Think of it system. as you're the, you're the branch that's going to be added to their tree because they got a lemon tree producing yep. these sour lemons, right? They need yep. some apples. Youngblood yeah. Works can be the graft that produces the apples they need so that then they can figure out how to turn some of their lemon branches into, I don't know, at least plums or something. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the, the gut and the flora and fauna in the human gut and how important that is. And when that's out of whack, it affects everything else. And the ways that so far people seem to be able to improve it is by, like you said, grafting from a healthy gut, or it's actually pretty disgusting. They, they actually take feces <laughs> and put them in pills and get people to swallow them. And then that stuff gets down there and kind of helps right. to correct things, right? But hopefully these discoverers, I don't know how to tie all that together, but. That was a good one, Jake. So this is an adult program. So I can actually say you've now come up with the exact counter to eat shit and <laughs> or eat shit and thrive, either one. Eat shit yeah. and live. Yeah. So don't go from curious to furious. Eat shit and live. Uh -huh. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And Jake, right? So we say this to all the guests, right? It's that. So I am. I'm an active participant. In these podcasts, I have this nefarious guy, may uh, some sort of co-host or, or or moderator, but 
my notes are full of all these. So I, just like I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, take Chris's ideas and claim them as my own as frequently as I as I can. So that's just that's just golden stuff, Chris. So, so you make he uh, keeps me in the style I become accustomed to to be smarter than I am when I stand tall in front of my board, in front of my advisors, and say, you know, I got an idea. I think we should probably focus on the psychology students that we have at the university here, and I will be brilliant, and I will get all the accolades. And, and contrary, if they shoot that idea down, I say, well, that came from my podcast partner. So, <laughs> so either way, it's a, it's a benefit. So, And I will do the same with you, Jake, shamelessly, with all the information that you've given us here today. So with that, we'd love to have you on again, Jake, as we continue to follow the SDR league and we go up the ranks. I don't know if there's a senior tour for guys like Chris and I, like I said, something to think about versus the game is so fast for us old timers here, but but we just love what you're doing and can't thank you enough for jumping on today with all the great information and any way we can support it here on the market dominance guys, a score check, right? Chris and I would start every day with kind of looking at the box scores certainly and the highlights we will will certainly keep that open for you love it well someone's got to come in and and teach us uh, young folks how it's done right so i think we could definitely arrange some sort of a cage match who would be your choice opponent Corey or chris Oh, you know know who mine would be just Uh because he's so he's so good. He's so cerebral. I always say if if you can't do anything else, bring in a lawyer, bring in Anthony Anarino. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'd fight Shatner, William Shatner. That's who I'd go head to head with. Love it. Oh, oh, Shatner, Shatner would, he'd have a hundred percent close rate. Yeah. Uh, nobody knows how that voice works, but whatever it is, I watched an ad for him. It's so funny you bring that up. I don't watch very much TV, but I'm stuck in a hotel here for a couple of days. Not, I have nothing to learn in the hotel. Okay, I'm curious. So he's on with an ad for the system that cleans your sleeping apparatus, which they come up with some name for it, your sleeping equipment. It's some euphemism for a CPAP, which Uh apparently sounds like a really bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so he talks about that. And I'm listening to his voice just thinking, you know, this guy should be cold calling. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why you got to go. You got to go big. You got to go big. So. Well, we'll we'll have to give him a shout and, and see if he wants to take you on, Corey. Yeah, yeah. When you do have the head-to-head, Jake, when you go head-to-head with Ryan, do you play the Canadian anthem and then you play the U.S. anthem? Is that how it goes, just like it is with, with uh, baseball? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it depends who's the champion and who's the challenger in terms of which anthem goes first. But <laughs> awesome. Hey, thanks again, Jake, for what you do for our profession. It's admirable. We love it and we support you anytime. So it's been another episode of the Market Dominance Guys with Corey Frank and the Sage of Sales, Chris Beal. Until next time, have a great day. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.